If you would, take out your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 as we pick up today where we left off last week. As we turn to God's Word, let's also turn to Him and ask for His aid and assistance in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, this is Your Word. And it is just as needful to us as food. For we know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Father, help us to receive your word as heavenly food from above. And grant, O God, that we would taste and inwardly digest it and receive it deep into our hearts and souls, believing you, trusting your word, and not simply being hearers but becoming doers of the truth. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in week two um, in our Advent series, and I got the good news this past week that uh, Mark Carey, Reverend Mark Carey, and his wife Sarah will be with us on the 23rd as we're going to be out of town, and he's going to continue the series. Uh, It's going to be a part four series, um, resting in something yet. We haven't... uh, quite figured that out, but uh, so we're on week two of four now, resting, or the promise of rest, and today it's resting in God's community. Well, as I mentioned last week, uh, Advent, this season of preparation, and, and while for many it may be a time of joy and indeed preparation, for many of us it's not a season of rest, but more likely a season of rush. It's anything but rest. Anything but rest. Rather, it's full of restlessness and rushing around. It's filled with with worry, anxiety, fear, loneliness, disagreement, discouragement, and at times despair. In fact, I, I, I read that in the midst of the joy and the festivity, there are people lonely, people crying out. For hope. Now, why? Why would this be a season of worry, anxiety, fear, disagreement, discouragement, despair? Uh, For many reasons, but but one, I think, has to be because of people. Being with people. Think about the anticipation of going somewhere or having people coming to you, being at a gathering. Sometimes people. And being with people calls anxiety and fear and restlessness and anything but rest and peace and joy. However, from biblical teaching and what we will see in the biblical example of this nine-month time of preparation for the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus is a time of rest, a season of rest, rest that is God-defined as well as God provided. We heard earlier that passage from Matthew 11. Listen to these words again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This call, this invitation from Jesus, come to me 
And a couple of things are going to happen. You will be given rest and you will find rest. But of course, before we could respond to that invitation, uh, obey that command uh, to come to Jesus, Jesus had to first come to us. And He has come. Our opening hymn was, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56 is that nine-month backstory of Jesus coming to us through His incarnation. The mysterious, though nonetheless real and true story of the second person of the Trinity, God the Son becoming flesh, becoming man, it shows us that Christianity is not man somehow becoming God as most religions kind of make it, but rather it's God becoming man. It's not the ascent of man climbing the ladder to some kind of divine um, place, but rather it is the descent of God, God as it were coming down the ladder. Advent is the coming of Jesus, God coming to man. And as I mentioned last week, we are connecting this with our series in the Apostles' Creed. We're slowing down for a few weeks and we're pondering the significance of our declaration that we believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Mary. As we mentioned last week, there is Mariology, the study of Mary, the doctrine of Mary, Mariolatry, the worship of Mary. We see a distinction and a difference between the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant churches in how we view and understand Mary. But regardless, Mary cannot be ignored. We're not talking again about statues, paintings, churches with the name Mother of God or Mary, Queen of Heaven. No, we're talking about the Bible. The Bible. Not only does Mary often get ignored or avoided by Protestants, she often gets rejected. However, we ignore, we avoid, we reject Mary to the peril of our growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To be sure, the entire Old Testament provides the backstory because you see, in the fullness of time, Paul writes to the Galatians, that God sent His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. That fullness of time truly, indeed, did come. Now, this nine-month backstory shows us at least three kinds of rest. Last week, it was the favor Resting in God's favor. Rest from thinking that you and I have to somehow earn or that we can merit acceptance before Him. Another kind of rest is rest in community. Rest from thinking that we have to go it all alone. And finally, resting in God's power. Resting from this thinking, this idea that we somehow have to do it in our own strength. Now, going back to where I began, being with people. When you have the thought of, I'm going to see someone, or someone is coming to see me, is it a time and place of rest? 
or of rush to get it over with as quick as possible? Is it a time of peace or is it a time of anxiety? Remember, Luke is writing this gospel so that people can have certainty to what they have been taught. It's an orderly account. It's an eyewitness account because he wants the reader to have certainty. And after the first four verses of a prologue, there's the prelude, the announcement of the conception and upcoming births of two children of promise. All the way from verse 5 to 38 is this announcement that two children will be conceived and two children will be born. John the Baptist and Jesus, children of promise. This is going to represent the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. From promises made to promises kept. Last week in verses 26 through 38, we looked at what church fathers have called the Annunciation. The announcement of the angel Gabriel. We saw that there were two things going on. Receiving the favor of God and responding to the favor of God by trusting and obeying God's word. This week, verses 39 through 45 are what's been called the visitation, the visit that Mary makes to her cousin Elizabeth. Now picture the scene. I think it would be great to be the screenwriter to put this somehow on stage. Think about this. It's the meeting of a virgin teenager, now pregnant, with a barren senior citizen, now pregnant. It's a precious Unique time between two women chosen to bear the children of promise. The first to know in fullness that God has come to redeem his people. One of the reasons why Luke, one of the reasons why you can look at this and see it's true and authentic is in that day and age, the testimony of women was was ignored, was discounted. Women had no standing. Christianity is what rightly elevated women as, as equal image bearers of God with men. And remember who the first witnesses were to the resurrection? Women. The bookends. Luke is going to the eyewitnesses of women. If this had been made up, there's no way anyone would have used the testimony of women. He's using the testimony of women because it's true. Join with me now as I read verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 
From our text, we will see that this promise of rest that Jesus makes can be seen fulfilled, at least in part, in God's community. Now, God's community is a place where we are given rest and where we find rest because it's a place of humility, it's a place of blessing, and it's a place of joy. First, God's community is restful because it is a place of of humility. Humility and not pride is on scene here as Mary visits Elizabeth. She travels between 80 and 100 miles to this unnamed town in the hill country of Judah, uh, probably a three to four day journey. And, And the atmosphere of this visit is one of humility. And Elizabeth here is a supreme example of humility. The gospel is the great reversal that we will see later as we we continue to study, the great reversal of where death of Jesus brings life, the, the great exchange where you go low and you're lifted up, but there are signs of the reversal all along the way. And here we see the reversal is that the older thinks more of the younger than herself. Now in that society, the younger is to give respect and deference and honor to the older. You don't see the older necessarily being told to respect and give honor and defer to the younger, but you see it here. We will see Elizabeth in even what she says, she is expressing humility. Now, There are a lot of definitions of humility. Some of us are reading through a book on uh, rediscovering humility, why the way uh, down is the way up. I think the greatest, best definition of humility I've ever run across is this. It's not thinking less of yourself, as in I'm no good, I can't do it, nobody loves me. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Did you notice in this short episode that Elizabeth, the older cousin who is now kind of pregnant, she was barren, she's in her old age, she could be Elizabeth's grandmother, great-grandmother. She is not primarily thinking about herself. She's thinking about Mary. In fact, you get the idea that she's not even thinking about herself at all. Now, Picture this, a barren old woman that gets pregnant. What do do old women who are grandparents want to talk about? Their grandchildren, right? Yet you see none of this in here. Mary is not speaking of her joy at being pregnant. No, she's speaking of Mary, of her joy because of Mary. She... But when she does think of herself, notice what she ends up doing. She asks the question, why me? Verse 43, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come visit, should come to me? It's an atmosphere of humility. This visitation, this greeting, it's honoring one another more than yourself. It's loving one another. 
Mary is a great example, as we have seen and will see, of faith, of believing God's word. And Elizabeth here is a great example of humility. Not thinking less of herself, but rather thinking of herself less. So before we move on, let's ask ourselves the question, how are we doing? When somebody comes to visit us, is, it, is the conversation going to be all about us? Or is it going to be all about the other? You know, the Christian life is supposed to be a competitive life. Did you all know that? Kids, do you like competition? We are to called to outdo one another in what? Showing honor. Outdoing. Who can show more honor to the other? We see that. And interestingly, Mary is receiving this from Elizabeth. So you've got to just ask yourself this question, and, and I have to ask myself this question, how am I doing when it comes to humility? You see, humble Christians make up a humble church. You want a church to be not too proud and arrogant and think more highly of itself? How does that happen? Because it's, it's filled with people who aren't proud who think of others more than themselves. So you see, God's community is a place of rest because it's a place of humility. It's also restful because it's a place of blessing as you think not only of yourself less, but you think of other people more. And so God's community, this scene that we see in Zechariah's house where Mary and Elizabeth greet each other. This community is restful because it's humble, filled with humility. It's a place of blessing because you see the reversal continues to make itself known as the older blesses the younger. God doesn't do what we expect at times, does he? He reverses things. We've got Old Testament stories of the younger being blessed and not the older. The reversal. God showing mercy on whom He would have mercy. God does what we don't expect and we don't expect what is taking place here. The older is blessing the younger. And it's a threefold blessing. Notice the first part of verse 42. Blessed are you among women. There is nowhere in there that says you are to be worshipped as somehow some sort of co-savior, co-mediator. No, you are blessed among women. Why? Because you've been chosen to be the earthly mother of the Lord. And verse 42 continues, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is that child growing inside you, that child conceived by the Holy Spirit. Because you see, the focus of the blessing, as far as Elizabeth is concerned, is on that child. She refers to Mary as the mother of my Lord, given to her by the Holy Spirit. And this passage ends, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You see, Elizabeth doesn't worship Mary, but rather she blesses Mary for her faith because Mary took God at his word. 
The primary blessing here is what we see in verse 45. People are blessed by taking God at his word, trusting him. Now remember Zechariah. Why isn't Zechariah in on this conversation? Anybody want to take a guess? Because Zechariah can't speak. Why? He was a little hesitant. He wanted a sign that, he, how can I know that this is going to happen? He wasn't so quick on the believing. And as a result, he wouldn't be able to speak until the birth of his son, John. And so, in the background is a silent Zechariah. As Mary and Elizabeth speak. Remember Jesus speaking to Thomas at the, in John 20. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. This is a great launching point into Hebrews chapter 11. The by faith hall of fame as it were. The Christian life as the entire Bible makes clear. But Hebrews 11 makes very crystal clear is a life lived by faith and you see and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord now before we move on we need to notice the blessing of the visit itself again do you do you enjoy people coming over to your home do you enjoy going over to other people's homes do you enjoy visiting with people? J.C. Ryle, the Anglican bishop of the 1800s, in his commentary on Luke, writes this, quote, We should always regard communion with other believers as an eminent means of grace. It is a refreshing break in our journey along the narrow way to exchange experience with our fellow travelers. It helps us and it helps them. And so is a mutual gain. What's taking place at Zechariah's house in this visit of Mary to Elizabeth is, in his words, an eminent means of grace. It's fellowship. The fellowship of believers, both whom Mary and Elizabeth trusting in the Lord. So ask yourself, is being in God's community in and of itself, do you consider it a blessing? Are you eager to get here on the Lord's day? Are you eager to join others for prayer on an early Saturday morning? Are you eager to serve in various ways with one another? The fellowship the blessing of being together. God's community is restful because it's a place of humility and it's a place of blessing. And finally, God's community is restful because it's a place of joy. Joy in the Lord. Ryle continues in his commentary with these words, it is the nearest approach that we can make on earth to the joy of heaven. There are many who fear the Lord, he says, and think upon his name and yet forget to speak often to one another. First, let us seek the face of God. Then let us seek the face of God's friends. Ryle is saying that in this kind of community, in this kind of fellowship is joy. 
It's next to heaven. It's next to heaven. Because you see what's happening here is when the old covenant meets the new covenant. When the last old, the mother of the last Old Testament prophet John the Baptist meets the mother of the Messiah. It is joyful. John in his mother's womb leaps. And Luke makes it clear. Not just leaped but in verse 44 leaped for joy. Elizabeth and Mary are joyful. John the Baptist and Jesus are joyful. Remember what John will say later in John's Gospel, John 3. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Wow. Where, where, where is John learning that? Where does he learn this? From his mother, Elizabeth. Mothers, you have a great role to play in the lives of your children. John is in some way learning to defer to Jesus just as John's mother learned to defer and honor and point to Mary. Indeed, Jesus himself later in John 17, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves as he speaks to his father in his high priestly prayer about the joy that he is bringing to those who follow him. Notice in this, joy is producing joy. Joy in realizing that God is bringing His promises to completion. There's mutual encouragement and fellowship. Elizabeth's blessing is going to produce a reaction from Mary. It produces a hymn of praise and a psalm of thanksgiving that we will take a look at next week, the Magnificat. Have you seen again the picture, virgin teenager, Barren woman, yet both pregnant together, enjoying time with one another. There is no generation gap in the gospel. They are united, not by age, certainly. They're not united by circumstance. They're united by what God is doing in their lives. There's a unity and a fellowship in the gospel. And that's so encouraging about this church and other churches where the gospel is central. That's where the unity is. Old, young, black, white, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, um, employed, unemployed, growing up in a good home, growing up in a bad home. Because you see, it doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you are and where you're going. There is a unity in Christ. This visitation of Mary and Elizabeth is a meeting where the atmosphere is one of humility, blessing, and joy. It's also a time and place, did you notice it? Where you see the Trinity. There's Jesus, the eternal Son of God, in the womb. There is, there is the, um, the Holy Spirit giving uh, not only conception, but uh, there is... Um, uh, Insight and understanding that the Holy Spirit gives and everything is being also directed by the Father. 
We've seen that we rest in God's community because it's a place of humility, a place of blessing, and a place of joy. Well, let's conclude with a few words about the church and about Jesus Christ. First, the church. You see, God's community is the church. The church is designed to be a place of rest because it's full of people who are at rest, who have the favor of God, who are resting in the favor of God. To be sure, it's a place of worship. It's a place to work. It's a place to witness. It's a place where we are equipped and a place from where we are sent out. We worship and work and witness from the position of rest. The church community of rest, of peace. It's a community of rest and peace. Why? Because the, it's a community at rest. It's a community at peace with God. In Luke chapter 2 are these words. We've heard them before, but let's listen to them with fresh ears now. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Another translation says this, peace on whom his favor rests. Sometime in January, we're going to get to the expression in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the communion of saints. And when we get to that point, we'll go to the Westminster Confession, chapter 26, of the communion of saints. And my friends, what we see here with Mary and Elizabeth is the communion of saints. One last quote, it's from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian who was murdered by the Nazis in the 1940s after uh, helping to run the Confessing Church in the 1930s and 40s. In his book, Life Together, this is what Bonhoeffer says, it is not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common life with other Christians. Praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Bonhoeffer knew what solitary confinement was like. Bonhoeffer knew what isolation was like. And therefore, he knew what the blessing of being in the community of God's people was like. And my friends, if you have it, thank God for it. And do your part to promote it, both in the giving and receiving. So first, it was the church. But remember, it's the church of Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. He's the church's one foundation. My friends, the church is a place of rest because of Jesus. He brings rest through his humility. Remember what Paul says in Philippians 2. He humbled himself. It's a place of blessing. Remember at the end of Luke, twice in chapter 24, verses 50 and 51, Luke wants us to get it. 
He blessed them. He blessed them. And Jesus also brings rest, not just because of his humility, not just because of his blessing, but because of his joy. Remember, as we run the race, as we fight sin, as we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, remember how he is described, who for the joy that was set before him. You see, Jesus' humility leads to our humility. Jesus' blessing leads to our being able to bless one another with our presence. His joy leads to our joy. My friends, this call to come to Jesus and rest is still being made. And by God's grace, it is still being heard. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus came, remember, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Paul writes the church, a messed up church, with problem after problem. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. My friends, may all of us come and keep coming back to Jesus. Because He is the only rest available for our heavy, laden, and weary souls. And so may this season of Advent, even a time especially with people, be a time of deep and soul-satisfying rest. All those who have faith in Jesus Christ are those who rest in the favor of God and who rest in the community of God. That is, in the church, the community that God has designed and built for rest. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word that shows us this time that a young woman and an old woman got together and shared a common faith, shared the work that you were doing in them and through them. Father, it was a place and a time of humility, of blessing, and of great joy. May that be the case for us. Father, may you be pleased to continue to establish this church as a place of rest where we are all humbled before your majesty, where we are eager to bless one another and point one another to Jesus and where there is a joy that is undeniable and, un un and cannot be extinguished because it's a joy that's not dependent upon circumstances, but it's dependent upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Oh, Father, be pleased to enable us more and more to rest in the community that you have given us here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.